one of the places that was important for me at the time in in connecting socially and also spiritually was Dignity San Diego, which was a gay and lesbian Catholic group, not recognized by the church, but made to happen by LGBT Catholics. Um, it was in the early 90s when I discovered from reading an article in the newspaper about the then Pope, who was quoted as saying that it was appropriate for churches throughout the world to consciously opposed legislation that supported gay rights. That was the event in my life that gave me the epiphany to say, I can't continue to be a part or or um, aspire to be a part of an organization that is looking to consciously oppress me. The other reality of socialization was the bar scene. And on weekends in, in the time of sunlight, it was often the park and going to on a Sunday afternoon to the Fruit Loop when men would gather and it was it was literally packed with people sunbathing out there on on Sundays and cars slowly looping coming around the loop and it was very cruisy and it was very um, was very much a destination for gay men. And it was always nice to come into down 6th Avenue, find a place to park and walk along the park open spaces and the trails. And it there is an affirmation that comes with that. Subconsciously, I think there was something about being out and present and interacting in the light of day that um, is worthy of, of note. And um, as I look back on it and um, and th- and think about it, because um, there wasn't the amount of affirmation that one can seek and find today, and so to be a part of that and get a tan was a good thing. Um, those were m- maybe the last of the days of of liberation and we were moving transitioning into a time uh, of having to fight for our lives at the time in the early 80s it really was about doing something in a community where if a few the few people that were working in response to it didn't work it or do it it wouldn't get done. It was um, um, AIDS was um, highly stigmatized, and so from the very first few months that I lived here, I started volunteering in one of the earliest efforts around HIV. For a few years, I did something that was very specific. We had what was called the AIDS Information Line. It was established in the summer of '83. It was about 30 gay men involved in it, mostly men, um, not exclusively. And um, certainly not at the beginning. There was no office or anything. It was just um, an information line that uh, on the night that one was scheduled to answer the phones, you'd have these calls forwarded to your house. Not having much of a social life, I used to take Friday nights. And between 7 and 10 p.m., 
that my phone could ring and it could be my mother or it could be somebody calling to ask a question about AIDS. Sometimes it was just some mean person calling to scream something horrible like, you fucking faggot should die or something like that. Or it was somebody in in despair fearing that maybe they were getting sick or um, the very first phone call that I got was from a dentist who was concerned about a patient he had who was showing lesions inside his mouth. And my limited knowledge at the time, I, I knew that uh, Kaposi's sarcoma was oftentimes expressed its lesions orally before they might show externally. And I also knew that another um, secondary expression of HIV was um, white spots in the mouth that were um, the expression of hairy Again, those were uh, illnesses that expressed themselves with a compromised immune system. And so you, you knew enough to provide some information. And given that there were not too many places to go, my modest knowledge and my few pages of data were more than most could get any place else. After that, I was hired to work at the San Diego AIDS Project. It was at the time located on 4th and Robinson in a two-story house there. And um, we established the Spanish information line, which was my responsibility. And I was one of two receptionists that people would walk in or and we answered the phone and people would call with questions. And one of the calls that always comes to mind, which was somewhat amusing but sad as well was this person who calls and says to me, so, you know, he says, I hear that you have people living with HIV in the back in the apartments behind your building there. And I want to know if that's true because I'm downwind from you. And I need to know if I'm at any risk of it getting some of that HIV flying through the air, heading in my direction. And um, I knew I mean, this is now 1987, 88, and knew that there was no risk of transmission through the air. But I wanted to say, oh, maybe it's too late and you need to plan otherwise. But I was not mean. I I was uh, professional and, and tried to provide as accurate information. But those were the kind of calls that you got. And ever since then, um, I've... Uh, been involved in HIV efforts and have worked in the field for close to 30 years in one way or another. It has pretty much defined my career. Um, I don't know what my life would have been um, had the AIDS epidemic not happened, but that's inconsequential because it did and it made sense that that's what I needed to do. And there were other people in the community that made a commitment to addressing the AIDS epidemic. And many of those people didn't survive the epidemic themselves. And there was this whole swath of generation of men that were lost, and they were peers of mine. And um, I don't know that we will be able, ever be able to assess uh, the level of loss that we've experienced in the last 
three decades. To this day, I think that impacts our community 